a couple Sabbaths ago, I think it was maybe three or four Sabbaths ago, I preached a sermon and I talked about how there are two churches at the end of time. How many churches? Two churches. God has the remnant church, the Seventh-day Adventist church, where he has accumulated all the truth. And then he also has an invisible church. God has a visible church and an invisible church. What do I mean by invisible church? Well, we find out from the book Great Controversy that much of the believers who believe in God and follow him are still in a place called Babylon. So God has believers in his visible church and he has believers in the invisible church. And what God is trying to do is to bring them together to have one flock. Now take your Bible, go to Revelation chapter 18. I'm going to share something very interesting with you. This call is given at the very end of time. It's a very special call. It's found in Revelation 18. And let's start with verse 1. Revelation 18, starting with verse 1, that's page 1186 in your seminar Bibles. Okay, Revelation 18, starting with verse 1. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven having great, what? Authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. Now watch verse 4. It's very important. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my what? People, lest you share in her sins, for her sins have reached to heaven. I want you to notice something. Apparently, Babylon morphs into this entity even more than in what it is now, and it gets to the point where those sins are reaching the throne of heaven, and God is saying, Enough is enough. God is saying, Enough is enough. Do you know when it's time for God to step in? Do you know that in the Old Testament, when God actually has to bring judgment upon an entity or a nation or group of people, it usually is in regards to something. It's when the rights of human beings are being violated. When the freedom of worship becomes violated is when God decides to step in and he says, enough is enough. And what takes place at the end of time is this mighty call, this mighty call that says, come out of her, my what? People. Who is crying out? Well, God is crying out. And what is he crying out? Come out of what? Come out of Babylon, my what? People. So where are God's people? In Babylon. Now this is so important to understand. God's people are still in Babylon. Do you know what that means? That means your family, your eternal family, is still in Babylon. And you know what we're doing in the work of evangelism? We're helping to call them out so that God can have one flock. You know your family? Think about your spouse for right now, or your, maybe your brother or sister. I want you to think about how close you are to them. 
You're pretty close to them, amen? I mean, they're your family, right? But imagine this, throughout all of eternity, you're going to grow closer to your family, the church family, than you are to your family right now. That family right now is still in Babylon. And what God is saying at the end of time, when the sins have reached up to heaven, God says, enough, enough. He says, come out of her, my people. God has given this clarion call, this powerful call, and he amplifies it through the Holy Spirit, the latter rain power. He takes the three angels' message, and he pours out his Holy Spirit upon it, and it becomes this powerful message, come out of her, my people. And this message gets louder and louder till it goes throughout the entire world, come out of her, my people, over and over again. And what happens is this, is this large group of people begin to leave all the other churches, all the other religions, and they begin to come together to form one flock. But the problem is, is at the same time all these people begin to come to the flock of God, all the people of God, not all of them, some of them begin to leave. At the very same time that is taking place, when all these people are coming into the church, the people of God, some of them actually begin to leave. And they said, we're done with this. We don't want what's happened. We don't want nothing to do with this. You know what I always say? I say this. The kingdom of heaven rejoices when one sinner is saved. Amen? But the kingdom of Satan rejoices when one church member leaves the flock. We're even told in the spirit of prophecy that even Satan and his angels sing hellish hymns when they cause one of God's people to fall. Hellish hymns. Those are the words she, she uses. Now, why is that interesting? Because God has people who he is calling right now. It could be your neighbor. It could be your friend. It could be your, your uh, dry cleaner. It can be the guy at the restaurant, the guy at the store. It can be the, the lady who lives right across the street. God is calling them out of Babylon, out of confusion, to join his flock. Can you say amen to that? You know, it was actually a couple weeks ago, I went home, and I went home to go visit my family. And there's my uncle, he's the oldest patriarch, you could say, of my family. I grew up with him, and uh, he's my dad's last oldest brother. He's got two more brothers left. And uh, his name is, I, I'm, I'm not going to even try to pronounce it, it's, uh, but uh, I know what it is, okay? It's actually Om Prakash, okay? And so he, he actually was down visiting my family. He came from India and he was visiting my family. He's an old man. He, he, he's slowed down. When you see him, he always looks like he's ready to keel over. I mean, he, he just doesn't seem like he's going to live very long. And when I first became a Christian, this uncle along with one of the other uncles gave me a hard time about being a Christian. When I actually told him that I was going to become a minister, he actually wept and cried over it because they thought it was such an insult to the Hindu culture. And he was visiting my family, and I was thinking to myself, I said, you know, this could potentially be one of the last times I see him. It's very difficult to communicate with him sometimes. I tend to be a difficult person to communicate with you as well. And so I was really praying about it prior to going down there. I was really praying, I said, Jesus, I don't know how to speak to my uncle. This could be the, one of the last times I could, I could meet and talk with him, Lord. I said, if there is something that needs to be communicated to him, Lord, you're the only one who can make it happen. I tried talking to him, 
and are just, there's just too many differences there. I said, Lord, you have to be the one. Now my uncle is a staunch Hindu, staunch Hindu. So I went down there, and I was there and, you know, hung out with everybody in the family, and I was just praying. I said, Lord, when it's the right time, you're going to open up a conversation between me and my uncle. My uncle, halfway through the time that I was there, he has to get some surgery done. And so he's down in the living room, and so I go down the living room, and my other uncle shows up. These are the same two uncles that gave me such a hard time when I first became a Christian. It's really awkward now. But I was sitting there, and they start talking to me. And you know what they begin to ask? They begin to ask me questions about church. And I just politely answered the questions. I wasn't about trying to prove them wrong. It doesn't work. So I said, okay, I'm just going to sit here and answer questions. And I'm just going to be as loving as possible. I want Jesus, just his love to flow out of me. So here they are. They start asking me questions. They said, they said, can you tell us what the church is like? And so I said, okay, well, the church is composed of a group of people who love Jesus and are excited about his soon return. Okay, so what do you guys believe about reincarnation? And I said, well, we don't believe in reincarnation. It was funny because then he asked me the same question again. So what do you guys believe about reincarnation? And I said, we don't believe in reincarnation. You know what's interesting? In the Hindu culture, Hinduism is so part of the culture, it's hard for them to separate that sometimes. And so we continued. And I said, you know, you know, here's the thing to understand. I said, one of the things that Christians believe, we believe that it's not by our works that we are saved, that there is nothing we can do to merit salvation. And I just said, we can't save ourselves, is what I told him. I said, God has to save us. And they started paying attention. Now, something remarkable took place. This was so awesome, okay? I was just waiting for this to happen, okay? I was just praying. I said, Lord, I feel like I'm not going anywhere with my uncles right now. I mean, it just is going nowhere with them. And finally, I said to them, I said, I said, uncle, I said, do you know there's a very interesting story in the book of Zechariah at that moment, it was like the Holy Spirit just, and you could just sense him there strong. And he just looked at me. I said, there's an interesting story in the book of Zechariah found in the Bible. And it records a time where people are going to meet God one day. And they were just looking. And you can just tell they were looking. They were just honing because their mouth started dropping like this. And they were just locked in. And I said, in the book of Zechariah, it records the time when people are going to meet God one day. And I said, there's going to be a variety of people there. I said, there's going to be a variety of people from different religions and all sorts of ethnicities. You're going to find a lot of people are going to make it to heaven one day. And they're going to be surprised about one thing. And they said, what? That there are scars in the hands of God. And they just were staring and you can just see that the Holy Spirit was penetrating through their mind, revealing himself to them. And it was just powerful because I realized that I'm not, I may not see my uncle again. And the Lord Jesus Christ is trying to save this man. And it was just awesome. And I realized that God does have people who are under faith, but they're coming out and the Spirit of God is leading them. Can you say amen to that? By the way, did you know that there is one man... He was the first man in all the Bible who actually heard the words come out. 
He actually was the first man who came out of Babylon. He heard this, this phrase come out of Babylon well before it was written in the book of Revelation. He was the very first individual who came out of Babylon, and his name is Abraham. His name is Abraham. Everybody take your Bible. Let's go to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to learn three things about Abraham, which I believe are very important for all the people of God who are called out of Babylon. He is not just a hero. He is a superhero of faith. When you look at Hebrews chapter 11, you're going to find that there is more written about Abraham's faith life than there was about any other character in Scripture. So for a model for us is we're going to take a good look at the life of Abraham and we're going to look at three powerful characteristics about Abraham. As we're turning there, did anybody get a chance to try a Superman smoothie this week? Raise your hand. Okay, very, very good. Okay, good. I just want to challenge you to continue being on this health journey because this is part of the exit out of Babylon. Not just the Babylon location, but the Babylonian diet as well. Amen? God is calling us to be healthy. You know, it's interesting. I, some people challenged my Superman smoothie this week as well and told me that they can make a better smoothie than that. Next Sabbath, we're going to have a smoothie challenge. <laughs> you bring it after potluck. After potluck. All right. Are we at Genesis chapter 12? Okay, very good. Genesis chapter 12. I want you to notice the first thing about Abraham's life. Okay? Look at Genesis chapter 1, starting with verse 3. Now the Lord said to who? Abram, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be what? Blessed. Now take a good look at verse 4. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him. You know what this first characteristic that we can hone in about the life of Abraham? Abraham was a man who heard the voice of God. He was a man who was intentionally listening for the voice of God. He was somebody who God can trust with these very special instructions. And you want to know why? Because Abraham was going to be the progenitor of the messianic seed that would come down his line. What Abraham would do would to be able to carry the, the, the package that one day would lead to the Messiah coming to this planet. What God was placing before Abraham was something even he himself was unaware of. But Abraham was a man who listened. He was a man who followed the voice of God. When you read the book Patriarchs and Prophets, you find out that when Abraham heard the voice of God, he actually began to tell his family, hey, God's called me to follow him. And the people misunderstood him. They had a hard time understanding about what he was doing. Sometimes when you follow the voice of God, people around you are not going to understand. They're going to say, well, what's wrong with you? What are you doing? That's crazy. And you want to know the sad thing is? Even Christian people around you will question what you are doing. But folks, you need to follow the voice of God. Can you say amen to that? Abraham, can you imagine this? He was about to leave his life of luxury, his life of security, his life of just where his family was, where he was finally getting settled down. He was finally getting all the furniture in place and the couch out there and finally be able to sit back with the HDTV and plant a garden. 
And all of a sudden, God says to him, Abraham, follow me. And Abraham, with unquestioning obedience, said, I'll do it. And he was so excited that God had spoken to him, he followed the voice of God. God calls each and every person. He has a different mission, he has a different plan, he has a different purpose for each person here. But folks, the very best thing you can do is follow the voice of God. Now I'm not here to get into an argument about whether or not you should be in the military, but I'm gonna share a story with you. Very interesting story. I was at a Bible study with some young adults all the way in Arroyo Grande. And uh, there was this one gentleman, he was a Christian, was an Adventist, he came in there. And uh, we were talking and we're just having discussion about different things. And he says to me, he says, he says, I have a question I want to ask. Does God approve of me going into the military? And I said, well, and I said, well, here's some questions you need to ask. And as we begin to go through it, he all of a sudden interrupted me. He says, wait just a second. David was a man of war. David was a man of war. I believe God approves of me going into the military. I said, I'm not arguing that point. I said, but I do have one question for you. He said, yeah. I said, is God calling you into the military? I never forgot the reaction. At that moment, he put his head down. And he said, I don't know. And I said, that's the question you need to answer first. Where is God calling you? Can you imagine that? Abraham being called out of a life of luxury, a life of being settled. He was being called out into something where he had no idea what it was all about. You can imagine God saying, I'm going to call you out into a land you don't even know about. It's going to be like, a, a, you're just going to go out and you're just going to follow me. There was no direction. There was no like goal in mind. It wasn't like, well, I want you to go to Houston, California. No, no. He just said, I want you to follow me to the land I'm going to show you. And Abraham said, okay, God, I'm going to follow you. And he left all of his, his life. He simply uprooted and said, okay, God, this is the way you're leading. I'm going to follow you. And folks, this is why it's very important. Because Jesus spoke to the disciples one day and he said just two words. Follow me. And those disciples were so excited, they said, okay, the God of heaven and earth has called us, we are going to follow him. By the way, here's a question I want to ask you. Are you following God today? Are you listening to the voice of God today? Did you go where God sent you today? Amen? What about after church? You going to the place where God called you? Every day when you submit your plans to God, weigh it before the Lord. You know, sometimes he will call you into the most uncomfortable situations. I was studying this morning, and all of a sudden I get this text message. And you know what the text message said? We want you to go to India to go preach an evangelistic series there for two weeks. Now, the problem with that text is that it's not talking about Northeast India, which I'm, a, I'm very... Uh, comfortable with and inside a school where there's armed guards they said we want you to go to this village down in southern California southern India not southern California southern India and uh, I'm well acquainted with that area where there has been a lot of Hindu riots and the text said we just want you to go in there to do a series for two weeks 
and it's going to be at a town hall. Immediately, I felt this sense of just of like, I don't know how to describe it. Well, I guess I do know how to describe it. I wanted to say no. <laughs> and I looked at that and I said, you know what, God, is this something you're wanting me to do for these two weeks? As uncomfortable as it may seem, I have to submit my plans to the plans of God. Amen? And you need to do that. By the way, do you know Babylon, coming out of Babylon, has more to do than just coming out of churches or coming out of false religions? It has to do with coming out of your ambitions and your plans and your dreams. Laying that aside. Coming out of Babylon has to do with saying, okay, Lord, this is what I was wanting, this is what I was planning, this is what I was dreaming about, and saying, okay, God, I'm going to set this aside. I'm going to say, Lord, where are you leading me? Folks, we sometimes want this very passive, maintenance, Seventh-day Adventist-type Christianity where we just we're okay staying where we're at. We're okay. Let's just nobody move. Nobody move. Nobody move. Just stay still. We're okay. Quiet. It's a lot of noise. Folks, I want you to listen to me. When the voice of God calls you, follow the voice of God by all means. Abraham no, had no idea that what he was carrying would be the very... Uh, the very origin of the Messiah. He was carrying the Hebrew people in the package. And within the package, the Messiah himself would be born. But he had no idea. No idea. And you have no idea about the plans of God for your life. Can you say amen to that? Well, let's keep going. Number one, we know that Abraham heard. Number two, take your Bible, go to Genesis chapter 13, verse 8. And what you find in the life of Abraham as he began to follow the voice of God, he had a lot of problems. He had a lot of what? So is it true that people of God have problems? Is it true they have obstacles? Is it true that they have a lot, a lot of trials? Absolutely. Let's see what happens. Let's keep going. Genesis chapter 13. Let's actually start with verse... Let's actually start with verse 5. This was also Lot who went with Abram and had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. Verse 7, and there was what? Strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock, and the Canaanites and the Prezites then dwelt in the land. Now I want you to pay attention to what's happening. You have all the livestock of Abraham that's just grown abundantly. Then you have all the livestock of Lot that's just growing abundantly. And what begins to happen is there begins to become some tension, right? There begins to become some problems. Oh, your little sheep over here, he ate some of the grass that did not belong to him. And what begins to take place is this strife. Exactly what Satan wanted. He wanted this to take place, and all of a sudden this strife, this tension begins to happen. Now watch what happens in the midst of this tension. I want you to pay attention to Abraham's character. Take a good look at verse 8. So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, between my herdsmen and your herdsmen. For we are what? We are what? Brethren. By the way, do you know when Ananias was called to go pray over Paul? When Paul was blind, you know the very first thing that he said to Paul? Brother. 
Ananias was a man who did not want to follow this because he knew that Paul had been persecuting people. When God struck Paul with blindness, God sent Ananias over there to go lay his hands on him. And the first thing he said to him, he said, Brother Paul. The very first words that came out of his mouth. And you know what Abraham says? You know what? There, are no needs, there doesn't need to be strife here. We are what? Brethren. Now watch what happens. Verse 9. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. If you go to the right, then I will go to the what? Left. You know what Abraham does? It's so remarkable. He exercises something so powerful. He exercises humility. The way he deals with strife is by exercising humility. That's exactly right. Abraham exercised humility. By the way, whose right do you think it would have been legally in this tension to take the land that he wanted. Why? Well, Abraham was older, he had more, he had more respect. I mean, Abraham had the right to choose the land that he wanted to, but he says, okay, Lot, this is what we're gonna do. I want you to choose. You choose what you want, and I will go the other way. If you wanna go to the left, then I'll go to the right. If you wanna go to the right, I'll go to the left. Why is this very important? Because Abraham exercised something so powerful here, he exercised humility. And there would be far more strife, less strife if we would just simply exercise humility. Now watch this, take your Bible, go to Galatians chapter six. This is awesome. I'm sorry, Romans chapter 12. Keep your finger on Galatians chapter 6, though. Romans chapter 12. Verse 9. Let love be without what? Let love be without what? Do you know what hypocrisy is? Somebody once said this. There are three types of people in the church. Believers, unbelievers, and make-believers. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor which, what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with what? Brotherly love, comma, it's still part of the sentence structure, in honor, giving preference to one another, semicolon. Now pay attention to this. I want you to see, this is so remarkable. Look what he says. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another. The Greek structure of this uh, sentence is actually this. Be kindly affectionate with one another with brotherly love, which is giving preference to one another. Brotherly love is actually willing, willing to say, you take the place. But the problem is sometimes we enter into this rut. Do you want to know what a rut is? A rut is basically when you're able to make an indentation in a pew. Okay, because you've been sitting there for seven years. And what happens is this, is when somebody comes there or they're sitting there, they get there two minutes before you did, before church service started, and because they missed Sabbath school because they didn't wake up in time because they ate something late last night. And so they get there, and they're sitting there, and you see them, they're sitting in that indentation that you made for the last seven years. And you get here, and you're thinking to yourself, there's somebody in my seat. And so you walk up to this individual, and you say, Excuse me, you're in my seat right now. And the person says, how do you know when you're in my seat? I'm in your seat. Well, do you see those indentations? I made those. <laughs> Folks, I want you to understand something. If there's anybody who exercised brotherly kindness, it was Jesus. You want to know why? 
because he allowed for us to take his place, which was being getting the righteous reward of living a holy and godly life. And then he took our place, which was dying the second death for us. If there was anybody who exercised brotherly kindness, it was Jesus. Amen? It was Jesus. Brotherly kindness is being willing to say, you know what? You step in first. I'm letting you take this. If we would simply exercise more humility in matters, we would see less strife. Folks, I've said this before. I think I want to say it again. This is my friend David Asher. He says this, and I just, I think it's so powerful. He says this. It is better to be righteous than to be right. Amen? It is better to be righteous than it is to be right. And oftentimes, we just really need to exercise this humility and say, you know what, like Abraham, you know what? You take it. You take this seat. I'm letting you in. You want this extra serving of a vegan pie? It's all yours, brother. It's all yours. We ought to go out of our way to serve our brothers and sisters. Can you say amen? You read Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. That was the verse I was going to originally. And you know what it says? That especially if we have opportunity to do good, we should do it to the household of faith. Especially, the Bible says. In other words, we're to treat our, the people within the church even better. Do you do that? Do you treat the brothers and sisters in this church better than you treat anybody else? You should. They're part of the household of faith. Remember what God says? Come out of her, my people. Where are his people? In Babylon. And if they're God's people, they're your people too. Amen? And God wants you to treat your people in Babylon or out of Babylon with love and kindness and respect that they know that they are royalty. Can you say amen to that? So that means when you got Joe Schmo coming in from the evangelistic series there, and he comes in, and he sees that seat that David Thompson has made by sitting here for the last eight years, and he absolutely loves that seat, and he says, I'm just going to sit right there. Can I sit here? Wow. Brotherly love. Amen, church family? This is what brotherly love is all about, being, being not just kind and respectful, but going out of your way that that person knows that they are guests here, that they are just received and blessed by heaven itself. Can you say amen to that? People ought to know that, right? You know, one of the things I'm planning for this church, and I haven't said it yet, I'm going to say it now, I'm actually going to dress up one of our elders as a homeless man, and I'm going to have him to come to church one Sabbath morning. And I'm going to see how this church treats him. And I'm going to have him not take a shower for a few days. No deodorant. He's going to come in with some smelly clothes. And I'm going to see how this church is going to treat him. Folks, I hope to God that after this, he's going to say to me, you know what? This church absolutely 100% went out of their way for me. Amen, church family? That's what Abraham was all about. Now take your Bible. I want you to notice the third characteristic of Abraham. He was not only somebody who heard the voice of God, he was not only somebody who was humble, but he was also somebody who was hospitable. Now watch this. Go to Genesis chapter 18. He was not only somebody who heard the voice of God, he was not only somebody who was humble, he was also somebody who was hospitable. In fact, when you look at that trait, hospitality, you'll find that that was one of the most favorite gifts of the Old Testament of God's people. They possessed that gift. Let's start with verse, uh, chapter 18, verse 1. 
Now the Lord appeared to him, talking about Abraham, by the terebinth trees of Mamre, as he was sitting in the tent in the door, the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourself under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. That and, that you may, and after that you may pass by inasmuch you have come to your servant. I want you to notice this. This is so important. What time of the day was this? What, time, what is the Bible? How does the Bible describe the time of the day? In the heat of the day. You know, if you go to certain parts of the Middle East, the Far East, what you will find when I went there actually was about two and a half years ago. We went to go visit this very interesting, it was called the uh, fort. And a lot of Indian workers were still there trying to restore this old fort that belonged to a king. We got there in the middle of the day when the sun was directly overhead. And some of the workers were just sitting down. They were just sitting down and they were eating. But it looked beyond, it was just a little bit past lunchtime. And they were just sitting there and some of them were in their little homemade, just man-made huts right there. And so they were just there. And I talked to one of the workers and I said, why are you guys here? And they said, how come you guys aren't working? And they said something very interesting. In the hottest part of the day, we actually take a couple hours off. It's too hot for us to work. If we walk, work out there, we could get just a stroke, and it would just be very inefficient for us to work. So what we do is we take a few hours off in the middle of the day when the sun is the hottest, and we actually will just rest and stay in the, in the, in the tent and just cool off here and refresh ourselves. When it's over, we'll jump back into work, and we will work until the evening. Now, why is that very interesting? Because when God and two angels showed up to go visit Abraham, what was Abraham doing? He was sitting down, cooling himself off in the heat of the day. Now, you would have think to yourself at that moment, wait a second, Abraham could have just said, well, I hope somebody else helps those people. Oftentimes, God will call us to be hospitable and to be a servant at inconvenient moments. Folks, this is so true, amen? God will call you at unpredictable moments, inconvenient moments, when it seems like, Lord, there are so many other things I could be doing. The sun is hot. I'm starting to sweat. Don't call me up to do this. That's exactly when God is calling you. And did you know if Abraham actually refused to go up there, he would not, he would have missed out on so many blessings. Do you want to know what some of those blessings were? God told him when his wife would be, when his wife would conceive, God told him when his son would be born, God actually allowed Abraham to intercede for Lot and save his life. And save his life. In the heat of the day, Abraham saw all these travelers and immediately he thought to himself, you know what, I'm going to rush out and I'm going to go help these people because they are brothers and sisters. Folks, we've got to really cultivate this gift of hospitality. It's got to be in us. It's absolutely got to be in us that when someone shows up, we are treating them like kings and queens. Can you say amen to that? That's how the people of God are. Amen? That's exactly how the people of God should be treated. They come in here, we should treat them like they are loved by the entire universe because they are. Because they are. Well, something else takes place in the story. Let's continue. Now watch this. Genesis chapter 18. Look at verse 9. Then they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? 
So he said, here in the tent. He said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of your life, and behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door when, when, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, Shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? She starts cracking up, because God tells Abraham, in the hearing of Sarah, he says, Next year, you're going to have a child. And Sarah's like, <coughs> starts just chuckling to herself, okay? Now watch this remarkable exchange. It's so awesome. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Saying, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Amen? By the way, you know who was the other person who laughed at God when he gave him a promise? Read the previous chapter. Abraham laughed at God, too, when God told him the same thing. He actually chuckled and laughed within himself, and God says, you really don't know who you're laughing at. Folks, I want you to understand something. What God pronounces to Sarah and tells her is that there is nothing impossible for God to do. Amen? That there is absolutely nothing impossible for God to do. God can accomplish it. And if he says it, he plans on keeping his word. Amen? Amen. And if we don't believe it, you know what we're doing? We're calling God a liar. Yeah. We are calling God a liar when God says to us, I want you to follow me and trust my promises. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to lead you into some obstacles, but you've got to follow me. And if we say, Lord, I'm not going to do it, you can go find your own person. You know what we're declaring? We are declaring that God isn't really going to keep his word. He really isn't going to keep his word. But guess what? Abraham and Sarah, they follow on, and Isaac is born. Folks, I want you guys to understand something about the life of Abraham, something we need to understand as a church family. Abraham heard the voice of God. Amen? He was willing to follow God wherever and whenever. Abraham possessed humility, willing to lay aside his own ideas, own pride, everything for the sake of the brethren. And Abraham was somebody who was hospitable. Whoever he saw, he treated them with so great respect that the Canaanites in the land came back to worship with Abraham. Even after he was gone, they worship at his altar. Abraham is a man of faith for God's people today. Can you say amen to that? How many people, by the raising of their hands, say, Lord, I want to be like Abraham? I want to be that, that, that man and woman of faith. I want to be just like that. I want to possess those characteristics. Those are the characteristics of the people who come out of Babylon. They hear the voice of God. They follow God. They're people who love each other and care about uplifting others, not themselves. They're individuals who go out of their way to serve. Amen, church family? You want to be like that? Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the life of Abraham, your servant, the one you called friend, God. And Lord, so many times we look at the life of Abraham, we think we're so far off the mark. But God, I thank you that today is a new day. A new day, God. Just pray like Abraham, God, the very first thing would be done. We would follow 
the voice of God. Follow the voice of God as you lead us. Please lead us, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.